my mind this morning that's why i had to play that one um episode 115 this one was recorded on the high seas rally last october november end of october first november uh with mike rabido from uh magic mike designs in las vegas nevada uh we were on the high seas together and he's one of the high seas builders for 2024 they're giving away four bikes this year there's going to be more information about that on the podcast later we're gonna have all the builders come through here but um hey listen are you still buying your workwear at Walmart? Are you still buying Dickies? Stop buying Dickies. Get yourself over to 1620USA.com and buy yourself a pair of shop pants. Get a pair of the double knee utility pants. Get yourself some workwear that doesn't break down, fall apart. It's not junk. Doesn't require any brining. There's no breaking on it. Doesn't work against you. It works with you. It's a little bit more expensive, but we're going to help you with that. Use speed23 as your discount code. Get 10% on your whole order. It's not a one-time code. If you're a podcast listener here at the Garageville Podcast, you're always going to get that discount. It's 10% off speed 23. Buy once, cry once. If you're not following them on Instagram, you should be at 1620USA. Also this year, last year actually, 2023, Source Media proudly announced the launch of their own 24-7 motorcycle content network, Grease and Gears TV. It's on all Roku devices. It's in the iOS store. Anywhere you can get an app. Check it out. GreaseNGearsTV.com. Get signed up. Support your community. Lots of lots of content on there. More being added every single day. Um, Chris has worked really hard on this. Heather has worked really hard on this. This has been a couple years in the making. So go to GreaseNGearsTV.com and get signed up for that today. My guest today is Mike Rabido from Magic Mike Designs in Las Vegas, Nevada. I feel like events like the one we're at right now, the High Seas Rally, like that there is a potential for to recreate some of that, you know, in in because you can do it all you want on the Internet. Right. But face to face, do you miss that kind of stuff? Do I miss the face-to-face and being able to touch the stuff? Absolutely. You know, because you can surf the internet all day, but, you know, to walk through a, a gallery or, a, or down a, a vendor's aisle and be able to see th- something and hold it in your hand and see it to scale and, like, the quality is, like, right there. Like, you're not hiding anything, you know? So, like, yeah, I, I wish they still had the expo and shit. That'd be, that was cool, you know? But a lot of those vendors don't even exist anymore either. You True. know, so it's like it wouldn't be as blown out as it was. I think the motorcycle industry changed a lot since when I was there. It was like '05, right? You know, but I thought it was cool as fuck when I first started going. My friend Chopper Steve brought me, and it was like, "Where are we going again?" And he's like, "Here, just wear this dealer tag. You know, it's not open to the public." And I was right. like, "Cool, let's go." And then we drove to Cincy, and then yeah, dude, it was like, "What the fuck is this?" That you was know? the I liked the. Ex- the it sounds shitty, but I liked the I, I I liked knowing that everybody in that room was in our peer group, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't have anything against like anybody, like but I I liked the trade show aspect of it. I liked being in a situation where we were kind of you know there's people wanted to, that were kind of looking through the looking through the windows, like like going through some more car history, you know. There didn't used to be. There was always like the the auto show, right? The L.A. auto show, the mm-hmm. Detroit auto show. The I'm sure the Las Vegas had mm-hmm. an auto show, right? I mean, we had. I mean, I moved to Las Vegas six years ago, but I remember. Oh, the, where are you from originally? Milwaukee. So it was oh, a Milwaukee auto auction. Okay. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah, I moved out. My brother. You're a Midwest guy. Yes. 
Okay. Yes. See, I thought you were always born and raised in Vegas. Fuck no. Okay. I, no way. My brother, he's been there 25 years, the one you met. Uh, he moved out there when he was like 19. Okay. And then maybe 10 years That's later. That's kind of gangster. 10 years later, my mom moved out. And then they always tried to get me to move out there because they knew it was probably more my fit. Right. From living in Milwaukee and the West. But it was... Uh, I wasn't going to quit my job and move there, so my job actually moved me out there, and then that's how I got established out there, and then my whole job shit shifted, you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Like, which is totally fine, but, like, I would never go back. I would never move back there again. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the interesting thing about being from somewhere is you're always from there, so you can take a little bit of... You can take the cool shit with you and leave the bad shit behind. Yeah. And, and you know, have you, you visit back, I would imagine. Oh, all the you time. Go, like three you go times, to Mama Tried, all right? All of them, all of them. Yeah. Yep. And you're, so what part of Milwaukee were you from? It was southern Milwaukee. It was basically the city south Milwaukee, which is Racine. Okay, so it's so, real close to, to Illinois border. Yeah, I mean, there was only one more city between there, which was Kenosha. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Milwaukee was 20 minutes north, and uh, Illinois border was 25 minutes south. I was, yeah, I was always I was surprised. I've only been to Milwaukee one time. It was during the Harley 105th. Yeah. Uh, we were doing work for Baker Drivetrain. You haven't been to a Mama Tried show yet? No, and, and I have to tell you that I, it's one of the, I'm not just saying this because I'm on a podcast, because we talked last night, and I have not been, I've, I've been a little bit of a drinking the haterade on some of the shows on the West Coast, just because I don't want to deal with, um, I don't think it's fair. I'm not going to ever compete in, in that kind of capacity. That's not something that I have any desire to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? I like knowing, I have friends from California and stuff, but I look at the Mama Tried show and I was like, that, that to me, from, from what I've seen of it, is the nicest, most complete, most correct, um, correctly done motorcycle show of that, of that type. Like I love, you know, Randy at, uh, in St. Louis at the mm -hmm. Cycle Showcase. Yep. I love his vibe, you know, he's a great dude. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that he moves the venue around. And I love the fact, but I like comfort food. And it's Warren, Warren Hare Jr., right? It's Warren and Scott. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's funny. I'll tell you a quick story. Like, when Warren came out, uh, this is, I think when I saw it, when I finally, when I figured or learned about him or heard about him, um, it was JR Cycle Parts. Yeah, Juniors. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, my company was JR Cycles, uh, Cycle Works in Plymouth, Michigan. And I, I always, I never... I, I, I never got butthurt about it, but I felt like I wanted to. You know, the, back in the early days, I mean, we're, we're in, in this business anyways where we get really weird about that kind of shit. Like, those, those are my letters. You know what I mean? And, but it's funny. It's happened a few times that I know. Sure. Well, and I never, I've never, yeah, Voodoo is a good one. Um, you know, there's Voodoo Bike Works in, there's Voodoo Bike Works in Texas. There's Voodoo Choppers in Michigan. And there was another Voodoo Baggers or something that they were all kind of like, pissed off and it's like if 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 we have to have a cease and desist to understand who you are and that somebody's using your name you're not doing good enough yeah. fucking job yeah but i to getting back to mama tried i've not been i need to go my problem is it's like the week or two before daytona or something mm -hmm. right it, so well this year it's uh the week before but I mean, you obviously go out and have a good time. Yeah. And so, like, Milwaukee is so welcoming to everybody, and it's kind of a lawless city at that time. So you can get away with anything. You can do anything that whole weekend, and it's like a free pass. Really? I'm serious when I say that. I mean, last year we pulled up on a Friday, and we were partying, and then Junior pulls his snowmobile out because there happened to be a fucking blizzard at the time. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, we were riding a snowmobile up and down National Avenue, just straight ripping this thing. And people that weren't like Christian Sosa, he wasn't even on a snowmobile ever in his life. And we were all having a great time. And Christian jumps on this thing. He came back with the biggest smile on his face. And like, that's what it's about. It's like just making people feel welcomed. And, and like, there's no egos at the show. Really? Nobody really looks. I mean, all right. I'm not going to say nobody looks at the bikes. But like a lot of my friends that when we get there and we hang out, like the bikes are there. But it's more the camaraderie of, of everybody Being getting together. together and having a good time. And then, yeah, we'll go check out the bikes on the floor and stuff. But um yeah, they moved it to the Rave because the Rave is a huge venue. It's got history to it, and it can hold the capacity of what the show grew to be. So yeah. they've moved the venue a few times. Um, 
but now it's like pretty much a staple at the rave now. Yeah, and I feel like um, I feel like that's a diff- that's a crowd that I, I getting back to the California thing. I have friends in California. I know people in California. Um, I feel like, and you know, I'm not the only one who feels like this, and I'm not I'm not shitting on anybody, but I'm just saying like there are people in California that have this a little bit of this elitism. Of is course, the only way I know how to put it. And, of course, and I don't have any of that. I don't. I don't deal with people who have that. I, mean, yeah. I don't want to be around people. Like, dude, I'm I'm 50. I'm established in the motorcycle business. I am who I am. I'm not. I don't have you know any kind of. Oh man, I don't feel like I should be here. Or I feel like I should definitely be in. The, like I, I've never done that. Like, where the fuck are they picking me? Yeah, like, just listen, yeah, dude. Just... They're not picking you because you haven't made an impact or you haven't done the work or you're not in the right place at the right time. You have to be good to be lucky. You know well, I mean? I mean, to me, a big thing is, is like I had a friend one time be like, you know, Mike, how do I get into the, the, the scene, how you're into it as far as getting to know the people that I know and everything and then shows you get invited to and the build offs and stuff. And I guess my biggest answer was you just go hang out. You have to be there. Just go and hang out. If, if you're not invited to the show that year or whatever, just go anyways, hang out, hang out with all the peoples. If it doesn't happen the following year, it might not even happen the following year after that. But eventually... That shouldn't be why you're there. My thing with everybody should be, that shouldn't be why you're there. You should be there to try to make the place better. Like, if you don't go into a room and try to light it up, well, then you're... you're there's people or energy... People are either... Um, they're either they're batteries or they're capacitors, right? You're either going to take energy away or put energy into the room. Yeah. And you need to make a room, the room... Yeah. a better place when you go in there. But you, you gotta don't take be the there. air out of but it. But you got to be there. Yeah, you got to yeah, hang absolutely. out. Yeah. You know, be cool with the people. Um, you know, but like, even if you built the best bike, and me and Warren have talked about this before, it's like, it's like, if you built the best bike... Don't you feel and, like that's and subjective, and, and, though? And what's that? Who's got the best no, bike? What, no, listen, yeah. no. What I'm saying is like, when you could build the best bike, and you could be a fucking shady person, or you could have an ego, or you could just have this attitude about you that's not accepted. And then you could have a dude that builds a mediocre bike that's cool as fuck. Right. Dude, that dude's gonna go a lot farther than the dude with the ego, even if his bike's bad as fuck. Dude, I have it's, a, it's, there's a short list of people that are on that first. It's like the, that. that. You, you know, know, there's people who are, who have come into this industry, and, and I try to avoid those people. Early in my career, I didn't understand that. Like I was trying to, I was trying to get into certain rooms when I was when I was younger. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I didn't understand that completely. And then you see people come in, and then you you see them leave. Yeah. And you see what they take with them, and then you go, you try to like, I've seen people that are really successful leave, and you're like, wow, I, I don't understand why are they leaving? Like they're getting, they're getting all the accolades that anybody would want to get. They're getting the the people are you know saying the good things about them and then they leave anyway and you go oh they're they're taking something with them they didn't get they didn't get it wasn't enough to get to be asked to be part of the SNS 50th it wasn't enough to be on a poster for Metzler it wasn't enough that everybody wanted to know who you were and everybody wanted to disseminate your bikes and 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 dissect and find out how you did things. I mean, there's a lot of right place, right time, right Yeah, people. but you got to be good to be lucky, right? Yeah, gotta, I mean, you got to be good. there and, 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 you know, you got to be in the mix. Yeah, part of being good but is some is of those people that ended there. up leaving, I feel like they hit their pinnacle, like that they were successful enough for themselves where it's just like, I don't feel the need to, to keep pursuing this anymore and they just shift and do a whole different chapter in life, whether it's family, whether it's um, like, let's say, We're fur- very, let's say furniture yeah. or, or whatever. It, it's just a different path. Like me, like I worked on my van for all of last year and, and rebuilding that van uh, was a shift from the whole motorcycle thing. Like I was still doing my bikes, but I loved working on my van and right. learning about the van and, and all of this shit. So I just think some of these guys that made it uh, and they and they might disappear or, or shift shift lanes, and it's just because they've completed what they've wanted to do already. They, I, and not that I, they're I short. Think, something, they, some leaving. They figure. They, yeah, but I think there's I think there's categorically there's there's people who fit into that. Mm-hmm. There's people who fit into that category that like, hey, I came here to do this. I, I got this accomplished. I really appreciate everything that you guys did with me, not for me, yep. not to me. Yep. Um, and but the, I'm talking about the guys that, that are a little malevolent, that you know, a little mean, 
spirited about things. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Maybe their bike didn't do what it was supposed to do, you know, and they get mad at the... I'm talking about people who get mad at the motorcycle industry because yeah. we're not welcoming enough or we're I not... I mean, I've seen that too, and then I've seen... You know, you might hear about it where it's just like, oh, this didn't work out how I would have expected. Right. And I'll tell those people if they give a shit, um, if you come, don't come in with expectations, it's going to work out way better if you don't come in with expectations because now you're setting yourself up to get disappointed. And how can you disappoint yourself if you don't have expectations? Yeah, well, your you know. expectations should be that you accomplish something. You should, yeah. you, should you, you know, dude, remember, like, do you remember when you, when, the, the feeling we were talking—I don't know who we were talking about it this morning. Like, when you have uh, when you have a brand new bike, and, you, and you're ready to fire it for the first time, mm -hmm. it's still fun. That part is still fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how you do it. What, what is your what's your startup procedure on a brand new build? Do you have one, or are you just kind of like that's just part of the flow? Um, as far as like, I'm gonna look at what I have, and I'm gonna work with what I got. Oh, I mean, like when the, when it's done and you're ready to fire the bike. Like it's nerve-wracking. I usually have somebody there with me because I want somebody there with me because if there's anything that they can give me advice on, if, if whether it be anything with, with firing it up, like I always want somebody there with me. Last year it was Shannon from Counts. Um, before that it was Tank. And like I, I always make sure it's like, hey man. I mean, even if they don't even know the answers or, or what to do if there's something wrong, like, hey man, you want to come over here? Dude? I'm gonna fire moral, this thing moral up. Moral support. Just somebody there. Somebody you know? to share it with. So if it blows up, like well, you can see it blow up with me. You know well, what I mean? Or some dumb shit. Yeah. So uh, like we have. I mean, I get. I have a certain way of doing it. Like I never. I generally don't fire using the fuel the fact the fuel tank that I put on it. Yeah, you'll put a little I'll, side bag. I, I have one of those Motion Pro yep. side bags. I yep. have that. Radios off. Rear tires in the air. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And and I'm real like methodical about my heat. I build a lot of engines. Mm -hmm. um, I a lot of people don't know that. Like the people that I build engines for know it, um, but I don't. I don't make it a big part of what I what yeah. I do. You know, I wire a lot of people's bikes too. I, I you know I mean that's just something that I enjoy doing. And uh, so my you know I do the first heat cycle. I let the engine run until it's red hot. Shut it off, and then I. I don't touch it again unless we found a problem. Mm -hmm. I don't touch it again until it cools. But I'll leave it the whole day mm -hmm. until it cools to the touch, and that's just my heat, my heat cycle thing. And it's just kind of a psychosomatic thing that I do. But when I do that, it gives myself enough time to look at everything, double check and make sure it didn't come loose. Because yep. right. if you let it run till it's red yeah, hot, it's gonna, gonna be shake five ten shit. minutes. You're gonna yeah. shake some stuff loose. So absolutely. Um, you so you you said you moved from Wisconsin to, to Vegas for I did. your career. What 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 was your what was well, your vocation at that point? Uh, I was in the construction industry, okay. so I was a regional sales manager for construction. Okay, you know, and then after I got moved to after I moved to Vegas, you know that like I was I was launching a new product at the time, so I was meeting a lot of new people trying to introduce a new product, and at that time. You know, it's a slow moving process when you're introducing something new to the industry. Yeah. But then COVID hit, travels got shut down. Right. You know, my boss was sending me all the red states that don't want visitors. So it's hard to go and make sales when the visitors don't want you walking in the front door. So then it turned into some Zoom meetings and things like that. And then after I had the Southwest, like pretty much distribution and warehousing set up, my company wanted me to relocate to the Northwest. And like I had just moved to Vegas, and my family's in Vegas, and I just wasn't wanting to move to Montana or wherever the yeah. hell they were trying to want me to move, you know. And and then after that, it was just like we just parted ways, and it just wasn't a good fit anymore. And then I started working at uh, Counts Customs, mm -hmm. and so I'm still there. Right. And then after I leave work, you know, I have my own shop. So then I pretty much just still have my own builds going. Like my brand had nothing to do with Counts Customs. So that's good that Danny understands that and, and, and endorses that and yeah. allows that. Cause I think, yeah. I think I mean, that I'm not allows stealing you, their customers. No, no, but it allows you to bring your best self to work every day. Right. If you, yeah. if you have time to do what you want to do and express yourself in ways that, that don't, that don't, uh, that don't take away from that, well mm -hmm. then that means that those skills and talents and ideas are going to spill over into the work that you do for, for them too. Tell me about, so, you know, the TV kind of thing is kind of, is, is, is moved on to other things. I mean, you know, I don't even know what reality TV looks like anymore. I don't watch regular TV unless it's sports. But mm -hmm. um, 
how is a how is a shop that was was known for TV stuff? How does a shop that was known for TV stuff do well in, in today's marketplace? And how, how do they? Well, right now they're still they're still striving off the following that they had, and and still people wanting to still build stuff. It counts. Right. The TV show um, ended last year, so there's other things as far as streaming networks that they want to pitch a, a show to, but that's a whole nother story. But as far as like network TV, like that's totally changed. Um, but as far as how it is at work, I mean, you still have your customers that want to come through and, and have builds done there. Um, there is a showroom there. So you have like bus loads of people. It's like a, it's a tourist spot for visitors. Sure. So we have. It's like Pawn Stars would be as well yeah, too, right? Yeah. That kind of thing where. So you, you have busing. You have busing people into this to the showroom, and you know you sell merch and you sell. You know we have other art stuff going mm -hmm. on that they can buy. And uh, but yeah, as far as like you know some of the cats that were on the show, you know they're on, they're still on site. You know it's not like they don't work. These no, dudes right. all work. And so, you know, you I might probably get more done too when you don't have the TV thing. I mean, the you've TV done that, thing, right? I mean, I was there um, for the last year and yeah, they would set up little GoPros and they would set up stuff. And, you know, obviously they're going to want to do their certain, their certain clips of, of what they need to put out for TVs. But um, yeah, I mean, there's times where they'll shut the shop down and say, all right, you know, we got the film crew coming in, you know, they want to get this and this and this. And then, you know, when that's done, then we basically go back to work. Right. But so Magic Mike Designs is, is your personal brand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and has it always been Magic Mike Designs since you were in Wisconsin, or yeah? How did they, just walk me through kind real of real quick? I mean, I've said this many times of explaining where the whole Magic Mike thing comes from. So back when I was building choppers in, in Chopper Steve's garage, um, he asked me to move in with them. So I ended up moving in with them, and he didn't know that I was a DJ. So I walk in and, and I set up my turntables and everything in his living room because that's like the best spot for them at that time. And, and instead of just packing them away, so I set everything up and I can do that pretty quickly. So he was out in the shop working, and then he comes in and is like, go to the bathroom, get something to drink. And then he sees his DJ booth just set up in his living room. Like I slid his couch over, and and he was like, "What the fuck are you, DJ Magic Mike?" And like that's the, the I'll never forget him saying that because I just laughed, and I would have never guessed that it would have rolled out to having a, this nickname. But then I did a couple build offs and I won them, and so all my friends that were there were just yelling Magic Mike, and so then I just you know obviously it wasn't DJ Magic Mike, but and so then I just left it at Magic Mike. And so then I had a company that wanted to sponsor me. It was Mid-States out of, out of Detroit, actually. And uh, so my friend ended up sponsoring me for the Hot Bike Tour in 2015. Well, he couldn't give me the money as a personal person. Right. Like Mike Rabideau, you're not going to get the money. But if you set up a business, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> we, can, we can give the money to your business. And so then that's what started my actual brand of Magic Mike's Designs. It was it was to help me get a sponsorship, and then I just kind of rolled with it, and, and from there. So, are you a proper DJ, like scratching records, <laughs> or is it like? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I was I was a, a rave DJ, so okay. I, I played a lot of underground raves back then, and like, yes, I know how to scratch and everything, and everything I do is still on vinyl. Nice. Um, you might, I do have Serato, so there is still an MP3 okay. thing set up where it's uh, you know I have generic records that are basically just. Uh, um, like just sound records, right? And so then they they read the MP3, so I can still play on my tables as if it was still just regular vinyl, and it's the same. It feels the same, and uh, it's just easier where I don't have to go to the record store. <laughs> How did you get into that? How did I get into DJing? Yeah, uh, I used to go to Especially parties. Especially if you're doing it with like with with something that emulates a turntable, because you're. But I'm a little older, so like. Well, my, yeah, but you're not old enough. Old enough, old enough. To, I mean, the, you, I guess I missed the raves by about five years. I think you're probably five years or so younger than me. To where yeah. I missed the whole rave set. Like the, I've never had MDMA. I've never taken. You know what I mean? I've never <laughs> no, had me any Molly or nothing. No. But yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I missed that whole scene. Um, but no, it was. It, it started off just going to these parties, and then and then I remember my friend. He was a, he was a DJ and shit. And then when I would go to his house, I would I would ask him like, Hey, let me fuck around back there, like. And then once you start to learn the switches and, and, the, and the left and the right and the, and the, and the EQs and all that, um, 
then it, then it really did turn into art, all right? And so then it is an art form. It, it's definitely. I art. follow a lot of guys. Mixing that mixing awesome. is 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 an art form. I mean, there's a formula to it. It's got to be done right. Um, but yeah, scratching that's that's just another part of turntablism. You know what I mean? But no, I, then I ended up getting my own turntables when I was 17, and then. And then I was practicing, 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 and it's you either get it or you don't. And so then once I ended up figuring it out, like okay, this is what you, this is how it's done. Um, then me and my friends started a promotion company with another DJ out of Chicago, and then we started throwing our own raves. And so then we started booking other DJs, and then we got into the mix. And then basically, like I got to the, I guess you could say, the pinnacle of my little DJ career. And then after that kind of started phasing away because the, the scene started changing, I ended up getting a motorcycle. And then after that, I just took that first bike apart and it just never stopped from there. Motorcycles are, uh, that's, the, that's the thing that, obviously this is the common denominator, especially with everybody like on the ship here. You know, I mean, we're all motorcycle people, but it's such a life changing event when you get your first one, even if you're around them. Because yes. I, was, I was raised around them, um, didn't have, didn't have a street bike, like didn't have any intention of doing street street bike stuff. And then when it happens, it's like it it's in it either changes your life. Well, you were a BMX just, dude too. Yeah, so I like, mean, I grew up on two wheels like, for sure. That's where it starts. It starts like at that kid age of obviously when we were riding around with our on our bikes with our friends and stuff like that. And then if you get into BMX racing, and then you can get into freestyle, and then it's and then next thing you know, it's like okay, now I'm old enough. Where what's next? Me, it was like. Like we ended up getting a trail bike, so it was a Honda Trail 70, oh. and then we started riding those around the neighborhood. I mean, we were 11 years old, I think, 12 years old. I bought it from a rummage sale, and then, and then after that, it was like, okay, now I'm old enough to get that crotch rocket. Then I got the crotch rocket. Then I got another one, and there was, I actually was a dirt bike before that, but it just—it's an evolution, you know. Sure. And then, and then it was like, I don't want a stock Harley. I want a chopper. And yeah, I, a chopper. I knew I wanted a chopper right you off know, the rip, but like, couldn't figure out how to make that happen. So I ended up with a stock Harley. So you, your brother Steve's on the cruise with you. You, have, you said you have a younger brother as well. Is there three, yep. just three boys in the family? I'm a twin. You're a twin. I am. So I have a twin sister too. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's awesome. And so she's still back home. Um, my, bro my younger brother Dave's in Seattle. My other brother Steve, um, the one on the boat, he's in Vegas with me. Right on. Yeah. And you married kids, any of that kind of no, stuff? I've never been married, never been and married. I don't have any kids. No. Right on. That's why I'm able to just kind of do what I'm doing. Yeah, kind of just make things happen when you need to make them happen for yourself. Pretty much. Like, I wouldn't have as many motorcycles as I have if I had to buy kids I can absolutely, all their stuff. You know what I, I mean? can absolutely guarantee you <laughs> that you have to be independently wealthy to do motorcycles at the level that you do them and have children at the level that they need to be attended to. Otherwise, you're like people, you're, you, you have CPS at your house a lot if you no have kidding. as many motorcycles as you have. It's like, dude, but, you, you got to feed your yeah, kid, yeah, dude. Exactly. Hey, you know, maybe they should get new shoes before your bike gets new tires. Yes. Um, so talk to me about your van. I, I'm kind of, for lack of, oh, they're going to get, an, we're going to get an interruption right here. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is your cruise director, JT. I'll take this out and post. And I have the highlights for the rest of the day for you. Tonight's theme is Hillbillies on the High Seas, and we are looking forward to seeing everyone in their most haggard attire for all the fun. At 5.30, we have another session of motorcycle trivia taking place in the schooner bar, and this one's going to be hosted by Team Perowitz. Then from 7 o'clock to 9 p.m., the rally team is going to be hosting Hillbilly games around the ship. And from 7.30 to 9.30, enjoy some live music at the HSR Tiki Bar with guitarist Kevin Hamilton. At 8 p.m., I'll be hosting Will Skeeter's School of Country Line Dancing. That's going to be in the Law Tigers Safari Club on Deck 6. Beginners, welcome. You do not have to know what you're doing. I'll be teaching you every step of the way. Sorry. Then at 11 p.m., <laughs> stick around for the Queen of the Trailer Park Contest at the pool. The contestants have been the trailer park. Ready to go. You know, you all are be in of that's kind of a fine line, right? You just assume that people that, that are on a cruise that cost money don't live in a trailer park, but can you really assume that people that are on a motorcycle rally cruise ship don't have a trailer park? The thing is, is most people that live in a trailer park are not, they don't know that the, it's like they don't know that the rest of the world kind of goes, and so they're like, fuck yeah, I'm the queen of the trailer park, fuck yeah, I got the best 
cheesy potato recipe, <laughs> I will knock your socks off. They got like one of those tumblers, like the super big tumbler, like from the, you know, the super, super big gulp. They just drink like diet soda all day and they don't understand why they weigh 500 pounds. Um, your van. Yeah. Secretly, I love vans. Like real, like appropriate, like, I like a 1970 Ford Econoline short wheelbase with a 302 would be, with no port windows, would be my fucking jam. Open it up, there's a bed in the back, thick shag carpeting around in a decent, like the legit old Craco or uh, a Pioneer Super Tuner with an eight track would be, be mint, dude. <laughs> Craiger SSs, I've, I put some thought into this. What kind of van do you have? Oh my God. Uh, I have a 1978 Dodge. Okay. So it's the B200, so it's not the, the extended one. It's got the shorter wheelbase. Um, I put a hardwood floor in it. It's got all velvet, um, diamond crushed velvet material all around the top. Or no, the top's, top's vinyl. And the sides and the doors and the doghouse and all that has all been like diamond velvet. And then, uh, yeah, Craigers. I just actually dropped in a brand new 360 in it. Nice. So I dropped the engine and put a brand new one in and uh, just redid the whole front end, powder coated everything. So it is like a completely brand new van, except the transmission's still the original one that I was using. My, uh, my grandfather was a Dodge guy. Like that's, in, in Detroit people are just, I mean you probably, they probably are in Wisconsin too, but, because there were some assembly plants I think in Wisconsin mm -hmm. for, I mean, for, for automotive. Mm -hmm. And you were either a Dodge guy a Ford guy or a GM guy, mm -hmm. especially when it came to trucks and vans. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a Dodge van guy. I, I, I dig, I can, I know the inside of your van, like the back of my hand, it's got real deep, the, the instrument cluster is really sweet looking. And then you get the little Pentastar on the, on the mm -hmm. if, you have the, if you have the lower, the lower model, it's, it's the, got it's, the- It's not the original steering wheel on it though. Well, no, probably but, not, but that's what would have, would yes. have been in there. And my grandfather was a woodworker for a hobby and he built like him and my grandma would drive around in their Dodge conversion van and he had like this wood thing on the doghouse that held his coffee that he had special coffee cups just for traveling <laughs> and little slots for sugar oh, yeah. packets and, and everything. It was it was really in the and then it has the ashtray that folds out of the back of the doghouse. Do you still have that? No. That one's not that wasn't on mine. Oh really? No. no. Where was the ashtray at on that? Dude, there is no ashtray on that. On a 78? There, uh, there's, unless it was never cut out of the dash. No shit. Because, I mean, you have your, I mean, I have the dash, but, mm -hmm. like, not all the cutouts are No, this was, there. there's, they had a bunch of Dodge vans, because all of his work vans were Dodge. And on the front of the doghouse, maybe it was an option, mm -hmm. on the front of the doghouse, there was a little wedge that would open up that was for, yeah. my grandparents both smoked. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, it wasn't on my doghouse unless it was replaced. How long did it take you to, to build the, the van? do the build out. Oh right? shit, I got that thing like 12 years ago, but it went in stages. So like when I got to North Carolina, I bought it out of North Carolina. I put it on a trailer, brought it back to Wisconsin, put new Craigers on it, put new tires on it, put new side pipes on it. And then that was like the, the and then replaced everything bolt on, like mm -hmm. the coil and the distributor sure. cap and, and, and wires. And so everything that you could just like, and a new carburetor, everything you could just bolt onto the engine, I replaced right away too. Then my friend Dustin calls me and he's like, hey, my dad just cleaned out an old high school and he's got the gymnasium floor in his barn. He's like, he wants to get rid of the wood. So I drove out there and picked up the, the gymnasium floor. So inside the van, the is whole bottom floor, floor is an old high school gymnasium floor. Did you, you didn't use any painted pieces though, I bet. No, there's no painted pieces on it, no, no. That would have been cool if you would have like the dotted lines <laughs> going around. <laughs> no, what do you was, get more, what do you get more thumbs up on? Do you get, driving that or ride one of your choppers? Both really, but like, I mean, I, I drive the van a lot and uh, it's only those certain people that are giving you the thumbs up when you're driving that thing. You know, the right. chopper and the, the, the custom bikes are cool. You know, everybody can appreciate those because they're like, they're clean and shiny and stuff like that. But when you drive by in a, in a, in a semi-gloss blacked out van with no windows and craggers, <clears throat> like you're gonna have those people that kind of shun you they a little bit. Get where, it it's or like, not. where it's like, I'm, I'm switching lanes and going this way, I'm going left because that guy. But then you'll have guys that pull up with their old trucks or cars and they're just like, what's up man, badass van. You How know? would you describe your, your, uh, your chopper building style? 
I call them custom bikes. So like somebody's gonna say, hey, is that a chopper or a bobber? And my thing is, is like, like these are just custom bikes. So I loved BMX when I was a kid. I love like little short bikes that are just, um, that, that you fit into. So I, I like to drop the seats a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you're not sitting so much on top of the bike. Um, but if, if you see them all, like you could probably tell that I built them all because they all have a similar sort of look to them, I guess you could say. But yet, I still am not going to be the guy that's going to build one just like the last one. So I'm always trying to build something cooler than I did before, but yet I still like to sit in the window that I, that I appreciate. Like, some guys might not like what I'm doing or, or it might not fit into their category, but, like, like it might not be a period crack, like, 60-style chop or, or something like that. Like, I'll gooseneck the frame... And, and just do whatever I think is aesthetically like cool to me. I see you people know? that um, that I can definitely tell you've influenced their style of builder. I've seen people be influenced by you, um, and I I feel like I know who you've been influenced by. Who who have been your big who have been your biggest influences when you like when you started building custom motorcycles? Some people gravitate one way or another. Some people are completely right out of their own mind, right? And then yeah. there's people that definitely have pick up influences. Who who were your influences? All right. So back when I first was building them, um, you had your Billy Lanes, you had your Indian Larrys, and you had, you know, your your custom builders like your your Russell Mitchell and like let's say all the guys you would see on TV. Detroit Brothers they were a little rough too. They were cool with the edge builds too. But it was always the guys that were in the lip Nikki lot. Like to me, when I got to the V Twin Expo and I walked through that whole show, I was just gravitated towards this fucking little party that they had going on in this in this in this fenced in area with a half pipe and just these raw, badass, like garage built bikes that you could tell were were ridden and and not so not so in the in much in the trend at, at that time, which was we're talking oh three to oh six ish. Yeah. And and it was like Pat from Lead Sled. It was it Tabor was Nash. Paul Paul from Bare Knuckle Chopper. It was Tabor Nash from Nash Motorcycles. Um, those three were probably my favorites at that time, and I'll stick to that. Yeah. Because those dudes were doing stuff that wasn't the norm. You know, Pat was doing his Sportsters. Paul was just building badass stuff. And then Tabor had the weird frames with all the extra little curves to them that just gave it that distinct look. He was using stock, like as many stock parts. Like I loved his wheels at the time and like like the, the handlebars, internal throttles, no front brake, keeping the bars totally clean. Like that was my dig. And so then when I started seeing their stuff, like that was an influence to me. So then when I took my what I liked as far as like, I want to build these cool little bikes. They weren't long, tall choppers um, with, you know, with the biggest fat tires. You know, yes, I built some fat tire bikes, but like. Yeah, but I don't stuff, consider a 180 a fat tire. No, I mean, I built a 330 or 300. Like did you? Back okay, in the day. I didn't know that you did a 300. Yeah, so yeah. I did a 300. We've, we've all had. Listen, I, they're, they're pounders. We've all had a couple big chicks. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, we've all had to build to a, me, a wide like, tire bike. All right, when I first, like, <coughs> Chopper Steve came to me, and he was like, I think, I think we did, like, maybe five bikes for our friends. And then he was like, are you ready to do one for yourself? And I was like, yeah, I do. And, and he was like, what do you want to do? Well, I crammed all my ideas into this one into this one bike so i wanted the fat that's dangerous i wanted sometimes. the fat bike i wanted the fat tire i wanted the long front end i wanted the drop seat frame and i just wanted the tall chopper and so i i put all that together i got a redneck engineering front end it was 24 over and uh uh you know the 300 tire on the back and then i had a twin cam engine that we we built an evo motor for, uh, evo frame motor uh, and so I took a twin cam apart and got twin cam SNS cases with Evo mounts. Yeah, I remember those. So they don't make them anymore, but at that time, like that was the only option I had unless I went and got a new motor. So we went with that, and then I had the right side drive. And dude, that thing was just such a head turner in my small town. And you bombed that thing around at that time, like that was a head turner. 
that one every show that you would pull into it was absolutely the, like the coolest bike to yeah. me at, at that time on the road and i don't think anybody could deny it in my in my town or area at all because it was just holy fuck what the hell did you build and i'll show you i'll show you the picture of it but it was it was pretty gnarly you talk about chopper steve being somebody that got you into into the the business of this yeah who who is steve and, steve and what does he was, do now and um steve still builds bikes and so chopper steve was my younger brother's friend's older brother so okay. when i got my first bike it was a it was an independent motorcycle it had a 240 and it was, it was not a Harley, but it was a chopper. It was a production chopper at the time. So I buy this thing. It was like 22,000 bucks. I didn't even know how I was gonna buy it, but I ended up figuring it out. So I buy this thing and then Nick, my little brother's friend sees me and he's like, hey, uh, you should ride that over to, to Steve's. I was like, who's Steve? He's like, that's my brother. And I was like, where's he at? He's like right over there on Charles Street. So I ride, ride over to Steve's house and I pull in his driveway and like, I look in the driveway and he's got his garage door open. All I see is two lifts and choppers in raw metal. And then there's a couple choppers just backed out into his driveway. And I was like, holy shit. I didn't even know anything like this that could exist in reality. You only see this on TV. Right. So I pull into his shop and shit and he kind of, did, he didn't know who I was. What year is this? Oh, four. Okay. And so I pull into his shop, and, and God, it was really just fucking crazy. It wasn't 04 crazy. It was, how, it was wild. How dude. you found out, like, oh, my God, like, how many motorcycles there really were and how yes. all this stuff had been going on. Because it really started in 2000, if we're honest, like 99, 2000, when Motorcycle Mania came out. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect name for it because it really, I mean, it made everything bananas. And then it was cool to find out about it, and then you're like, oh. Oh, this has been going on for a couple of years. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's a, it was just a, it was just a big eye opener to, to holy shit. Like, to me, Steve was like a normal guy. He wasn't on TV. He wasn't this elaborate builder, but he was doing it. And so I, I get over there and shit, and I was just so intrigued by everything that was going on in the shop. And I'm looking around and I'm just mind blown, and like. I swear it was like two weeks, maybe three weeks, and, and Chopper Steve's girlfriend moved out, and, and he looked at me and he was just like, you should move in. And I was like, really? So I moved in over by his shop. Were you already out and, of the house at this time? Um, where was I? I think I was with a girlfriend at the time. I was living with a girlfriend, but we weren't doing good. So it was one of those things where it would, I thought it was gonna help us out if I moved oh, out. Oh, I got you. you like, know what listen, I mean? it's not you, it's like, me. I'm gonna go find out over here. I, I don't wanna break up <laughs> with you. I don't wanna, I totally like don't wanna break up, break up with you because I want it to be your fault, not mine. But in the interim, I'm gonna go over here. We're gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine. I'm gonna go over here and live with this dude that only builds choppers and I'm probably gonna make some bad decisions. <laughs> that are definitely going to make you want to break up with me so I don't have to do that's it. That's pretty much how that went down. That's pretty much how that went down. <coughs> and so then, and so then, yeah, and so then I would just go to work. I'd come home from work. I'd be so excited to just, like, continue where we left off the night before. Yeah. And then, like, I'm an artist, so I would start, to, he, would, he would give me the basics, like, we got to do this and this, and I would say, well, if we're going to do that, like, we should do it like this so it looks better. Not right. just functioning, but gotcha. now it looks good in functioning. Yeah, your bikes are definitely. I didn't think. I'm. I'm. I'm happy that you. The the, the influences that you. The influences you told me you had completely makes sense. Um, but I. I. I thought you left one out. That I'll tell you. Tell you later because your bikes do have a certain DNA to them where I know that it's a bike that you built. And like mm -hmm. I said, I, I know people that I would. I would say that that's a. That's not a Magic Mike bike. But that bike is definitely influenced by Magic Bike, which I think is the best compliment that you or I or anybody in this industry can get is when you have somebody who wants to be successful, wants to do the right work, and, and they emulate what you have and, and do what you say. I think it's rad. I don't, I, don't, I don't take any offense to it. I just, you know, I just look at it like, you know, like, that's cool, like, that you pay attention and yeah. that you would follow through. Because it's one thing to say, I'd like to build a bike like that and then actually do it. Well, yeah, because you, you know. said you don't like building the same bike twice. So if somebody emulates something that you do, well, yours is already out there. So mm -hmm. it's not like they're taking food off but your But there's table. a lot of work to put a bike together. Sure. That's what I is. mean. So it's like if somebody just says, I would like to build a bike like yours versus somebody that actually takes the time and does it, mm -hmm. like they committed, they spent their money, they did their time, and now they're riding around on a bike that I didn't build, but that 
they built themselves that they might have saw something that I did that, that right. started them on that path, which I think is totally rad. So Steve, so you move in with Steve. You're, oh yeah, you're, okay. you, you 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 hoodwink your girlfriend into yeah. thinking it's, in, that it's, <laughs> it's you, not decision. her. Yeah, I'm making good decisions. I, I really want a future with you, so I'm going to go move in with this dude. <laughs> it's going to corrupt me. <laughs> it was supposed to bring us closer together, right? But anyways, so no, I ended up moving in Chopper Steve's, and after we built like maybe a few bikes for some friends of ours, that's when Chopper Steve was just like, let's build your own, right? And then I did that, and then. Now, did you build I, your I own frame? Think, I don't even think I was done with that one, and I started Gold Rush, and and Gold Rush was my, like that's what that's what helped me out probably the most, right? Because I ended up going into um, Chopper Fest in Michigan, and I won that, and then Jeff Holt was coming through on the Power Tour. It was not the Hot Bike Tour yet, so this was the Power Tour. This this had to do with cars too. Yeah, it was. Uh... Hot Rod Magazine and yeah. Peterson Publishing and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, because at the time Peterson owned Hot Bike. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because it ended up being Bonaire Corporation, but early on, I do believe around that time Peterson owned Street Chopper, Hot Bike, yes. and uh, yeah. uh, Bagger Magazine, Hot Rod Baggers. Yeah. That's when I met Jeff. Jeff saw Gold Rush and sent me an email and or a text or whatever the hell. It got a hold of me. And was like, you want to do the hot bike tour for 2014? So this, you're going. That's 10 years later. I mean, you, you did a lot in in between first and, and 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like then then when he asked me to do that, I was like, okay, yes. I didn't even really know what I was saying yes to at the time, but I was Jeff like, didn't either. I Just so you know, like, Jeff yes. didn't either. I'm. Gonna, I want to talk about Jeff because I I love Jeff. He's he's it's one of my, my favorite dude. human beings. But let's be honest, Jeff didn't know what you were signing up for either. <laughs> but he did a good. He did a good man. That fucking that was the best year. That was the best year for all the hot bike tours that we did. So anyway, so I fucking I I, I, I agree to this, and I didn't know what I was 100 percent agreeing to, and then I don't know maybe like. Three weeks later, I think he had the whole list of all the builders he wanted, and then he sends me this list, and I see Roland Sands and Jesse Rook and Zach Ness and, and you know TPJ and and, and Brian. Klaus Brian, and, what a treasure Brian is! <laughs> that motherfucker. Do you know? Do you know Brian and I have known each other peripherally for probably fifteen or sixteen years, and I've I've never. I maybe have met him in person one time. Oh, but really? Like, You're like, lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, I, 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 I have a, a huge amount of respect for Brian at TPJ. He's a great for guy. For being a family man. Yes. For, he's, for he's doing a, what he did, moving dude. from California, moving to Reno. I mean. He loves talking shit. Yeah. That's he, what I'm dude, a fan of. <laughs> yeah, he loves to talk, but he, he is a, I think he is a genuinely honest, caring, and contributing person like mm -hmm. i think if he's going to do something he doesn't doesn't with all of his heart well i don't know everything. if you know but he did a lot of the fxr division um billet parts on their last couple builds too so like now he's running his own machine making these billet parts and and you know probably catting them up and drawing them up and so there is a whole nother level of what he's doing um right. versus you know not so much hand-built stuff but he's doing machining parts now which is totally yeah, another well, level. That, well, he did. He also did a bunch of stuff. Uh, he was the first person to do a bunch of stuff for Indian motorcycles. Yes, customs. Yep. And my buddy, uh, I don't know if you know Murdoch or he doesn't go by Murdoch. That's how that tells you how long I've known him. Scott Lurg from Baker. Okay. Yep. Uh, left Baker and moved out to work with Brian at TPJ mm -hmm. exclusively to help him do that. And um, yeah, Brian's just Brian's Brian's a good dude. Jeff's a great guy. Like Jeff Holt is um, my. My thing with Jeff Holt is I don't think that the elders in this industry understand how hard Jeff worked and how fucked over he got by companies. Mm -hmm. and, and, and dude, I hear, you know, it's not so much anymore, but I, hear, I used to hear people rumble and grumble about, you know, he did this, he said he was going to do this, he didn't do that. I've been on, I've, I've been intimately involved with one of those situations with Jeff where I know his hands were tied. I know his hands were tied behind his back, and and Jeff did everything he could to make it right. And 
you know, sometimes you can't move a mountain with a feather, mm -hmm. and uh, Jeff will always be somebody that I I he's I he's uh, champion. The, I feel like he's on the ground level with all of us as a as a liaison between, you know, some of the people that we needed as far as like let's say some of the decision making whether you get a cover of a magazine or not or an ad in the magazine, but he was a good ground level guy that was on the ground at the rallies, shaking the hands Jeff of the Holt people. And the V-Twin Visionary, you know. his concept of the V-Twin Visionary, uh, couldn't be named better. First off, it couldn't have a better name to it. Um, Jeff Holt was exactly what we needed in this industry mm -hmm. to glue where we're going to where we had already been. I mean, you know, and, and I have to tell you, I mean, um, things used to be in camps, and and we are inherently in this in this industry, especially on the on the media side. You know, if you're helping this person somehow, it means you're hurting this other person. And and I have fought. My thing is, and uh, and I learned this from Jeff, that I'm on team us, and sometimes somebody on our team needs to make a hard decision that doesn't favor everybody right now, what mm -hmm. we're doing, but it lays the groundwork for what we're doing before there. And uh, Chris Callen from Source Media, he says it all the time that, you know, him and Jeff have like this, it's not a love-hate relationship, it's a, they're, they've gone from not working together at, uh, at all for a common goal to understanding that a common goal means everybody and they both have let the velvet ropes down and let the other end into what they're doing mm -hmm. because I think that's what we need. We need a very homogenized group of people. Like, we're all here on this boat is a good example, you know? I would love to get Jeff on this boat um, for no other reason other than... He... <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, well, <laughs> dude, I, I can't... Yes, I can. And that's I why I want to get Jeff on this boat. I would do... You know, Jeff's one of those dudes that... Um, Eventually he'll he'll call and need something and and I I want to be one of the one of the people that show up to to help him do that because he's he's been that guy for me in a lot of capacities that I won't go into but he's a good guy and he's he, and he, he's and he's not treasured enough by the old by the old guard yeah for for what he's done to to help bridge the gap whether V Twin Visionary is a juggernaut anymore or not you know whether it goes to the stratosphere like it can um, you know Jeff's in his mid fifties. I don't think he's going anywhere. No. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're we're not kids anymore. You're not a kid anymore. I'm not a kid yeah. anymore. I mean, I did the same thing. I was glad that you said about the Limp Nicky lot. Like that, you know, we weren't welcome in that room. No, you guys were the off, you were the, the black sheep in the room if I ever saw it. Yeah, they didn't want us there, you know, and, and I wasn't, to be fair, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in the Limp Nicky builders, but I was on the, you know what I'm saying? I was, was Team Limp Nicky too, and I would end. I didn't have my brand on their yeah, flyers, no, or but, brochures. No, but I was in '08. My bike was debuted at their at their thing. I was there every year, mm -hmm. you know. And then and then you see it fracture, you know. Uh, Pat left, and you know, and, and Tabor left, and you know, and and everybody has their has their own thing. And we, you know, we all at that point in time, um, you know, you wanted to be on that tour. You wanted to be on the Limp Nicky tour, like if. The groups of people that liked the bikes that I liked and liked the people that I liked and liked the parties that I liked wanted to be on that tour. Absolutely. So you were, the, you were the, on that lot all day. They were the cool kids. Yeah. They were the cool, younger, like... But this the industry, was the, this was the industry the hated us. The industry yeah. hated what For we sure. wanted to do. For sure. We, there was no polished edges. It was just raw dog and, like, you know, like, love us or hate us. Like, this is it. And and you're gonna get the people that appreciate it like I did. Yep. And, and you're gonna you're gonna you know run with it. I did. Yeah. You know. It definitely molded the kind of bikes we built. It molded the kind of relationships we have with people. And I still, you know, I'm still friends to this day. Well, obviously with Pat. Yeah, yeah. Pat and I have. have we've never, you know, Pat and I are not like we don't go stay at each other's houses. But when it comes to the motorcycle events, Pat mm -hmm. and I are tight. Mm -hmm. um, Paul and I are tight. You know, I could call Paul right now and and, mm -hmm. and you know. And he helps me. I help him where I can. Um, but those are lifelong friendships that are motorcycle friendships. But I'm glad I I'm glad I have them. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. Steve, you going real quick and wrapping up with Steve. So you said he's still building bikes now. When did you when did you move out of his house? All and, right, me and Chopper and Steve like uh, like after after the the 
Chopper Fest build off. Uh, we ended up just like kind of parting ways, and I ended up getting my own place. And then I took what's like Steve had a whole garage full of shit, but it was a lot of stuff that we didn't use. And so I pretty much learned what we used and what we did on the daily. And I just got those things. Yep. And so I just started with your, your grinder, your drill press, your motorcycle lift, your bandsaw, like your welder, just the things that you needed to build your bike. I didn't have a lather mill at that time, but it was garage built. And if you see my logo, like that's what I represent is Magic Mike's garage built bikes. Because yes, I have a shop now, but it's still something somebody can do in their garage. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything that the next person can't do. You just have to have the de dedication to do it. Maybe the maybe the eye for it, if it's gonna turn out cool, but it's nothing that somebody can't do. I learn myself, I learn by fucking things up and then just starting over. Do you, you, know, uh, do, you, do, you build, do you build by yourself, with yourself? Yeah. You yeah. don't have any apprentice or? No, something? I mean, I've had some people that wanna come over and, and learn. There's a lot of commitment to that, you know. Um, you're, you're, it's going to shine whether you're serious about it or not. Yeah, right you know, off the rip. I don't want to just come over and work on your stuff and, and then have you bounce, you know? Yep. Um, I was actually explaining this to somebody the other day. If somebody were to come over and say, hey, dude, I want to apprentice today, like, what would you like me to do? And they probably, I would, I, I look at this as more of the karate kid aspect when Mr. Miyagi started teaching Daniel. You're going to fucking, you're going to, you're going to wax the car. You're going to paint the fence. And those aren't things that have anything to do with what you think you're coming in here for, but you're going to know why. I need so, to know you can roll up a fucking hose properly in a cord. Things like my thing would be like right now my parts upstairs on my balcony are, are, are just a disarray. If somebody were to come over today, I'd probably tell them, I want you to set up those five tables that I have over there. I want you to get every part that's upstairs, downstairs, and I want you to organize it. And they might sit there and be like, well, what the fuck does that have to do with building bikes? Like, you're going to be over there building that bike and shit, and I'm going to be upstairs digging in all your parts, moving them all downstairs, being like, you're a bitch, quote, unquote. Well, I have a reason for that. First of all, you're going to move a bunch of parts that you don't know what they are, that you have an opportunity to ask, what is this for? Yep. Second, you're going to know what parts go with what. You know, if I got a sprocket over there for a, for a primary and I got a rear sprocket over there for a wheel, those don't go together. So you're going to take this primary and that clutch basket and that chain, and you're going to put those in this little bin over here. But right now, one's over there, one's over there, one's over there. And so like that, that would be a learning experience of where you know what parts go together. And then your, your, your second thing would be like, okay, well, now we're building the parts. Oh, shit, this is that part that I bagged up for you. Oh, this is where it goes. And so it's like, it is a whole learning experience. You're not going to learn 20 years of shit that I've been doing in, in two weeks' time. And then you're going to be like, oh, I'm this, you know, I'm Mike's apprentice. You know, we build bikes together. No, you're going to start. And, and if I ask you to sweep up or, or hey. That, I don't want to ask you to sweep that, up. That fucking oil that I just dropped over there. Don't make <coughs> me, like you said, don't make me ask you to fucking, like, wipe that up. Like, you should just naturally know I don't want that there. I'm going to have to do it if you don't do it. So why don't you take care of that for me? Show me the initiative. Like, yes. Just, there's things like that that if I'm going to have anybody come into the shop, I want, I want the initiative there. I want the drive. I want, I want to see the passion. Um, I don't want you to, to bitch about something. I definitely don't want you to leave and talk shit that right. I had you do this, that, or the other, and it don't make sense. I got to explain it later. But, like, and those people are hard to find. They're impossible to find, dude. So, I've so, had such a hard time with that. If I, if, you know, there's a kid back home right now that he, he started coming around the last couple of weeks and shit. Yes, he has a job too, but if he wants to come over at night, um, I don't have a problem with it. I, I could use an extra hand around the shop. Right. There's a lot of stuff that I spend time doing that isn't productive enough for me to spend a whole day doing. Like, I got that shit done, but, like, if he can help me do that, I can keep doing this, and let's just try to keep this machine greased and, like, just try to build these bikes as simple as possible. Let's, talk, let's switch gears a little bit. You're, um, you are an invited builder for 2024 for the High Seas Rally. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty large commitment, a pretty large business commitment. It sounds like it's something that you're, you're definitely up for, and, and, and we already know you've accepted because you, you know, you've got a signed contract and stuff. Um, tell us a little bit about um, the bike that you're going to build without mm -hmm. giving, out, giving it away, and, um, and, and tell us what they're going to do with it. 
all right, so Lionel from Law Tygo, he's the one that initially called me and asked me if I wanted to do this. He, he laid it out there of what the expectations were, and one of the expectations were that that kind of <clears throat> puts a jam into some decisions would be, this thing needs to be done for Daytona Bike Week. Mm -hmm. Like, the ship, the cruise isn't until the end of October, but we're not going to wait until the end of October. So Lionel asked me to have it done six months before the show, or before the, before the cruise, and they're going to promote these bikes and take them to all the rallies throughout the year. So these people can see what they're going to win. Now these are raffle bikes. This isn't just a bike that's going to be on the ship. So anybody that comes on the ship has an opportunity to win these motorcycles. So what I did is, I, me, Pat, Xavier, and Rick are all the builders for next year, and we are all different builders. We all build different stuff. I talked to the guys, and we're all building stuff that we would build for ourselves. These represent us. You asked us for a reason, so I'm gonna give you what I like and what mm -hmm. I do. I like shovel heads. I like vintage motorcycles. I'm going to do a vintage shovel head. It's a 1971 matching frame, matching cases. So um, it's a rigid, and I'm going to build this thing as if it was for, as if I were to want to ride this for myself. And um, you know, it's going to be clean. It's a tight little bike. I, I already have it. I already have the the, the groundwork already put together, and so. Um, it's daunting to build a bike in a short window, regardless yeah. of, you know, I don't have, um, I, I find, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I find, um, I get writer's block, you know what I mean? And I get like, I don't know if it's ADD or what, but it's like, I have a hard time hunkering down in a bunker type attitude and just building a bike, right? Like I have to work on this part of it until I can, until I run out of, I, I'll run out of energy for this part of it and then I gotta walk away for a minute and come back to it. It can be overwhelming, and I talked to Lionel about this last night. When you walk into the garage or the shop and you say, damn, I gotta build this bike. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. But if you walk in the shop and say, I'm gonna fucking line up this back tire today. I'm gonna center that back tire, get the spacers on, get the chain on. If I can get that far, Tomorrow night I can put the fender on. So if you just chip away at like one little project, not I gotta build this bike. Look at it like, let me get my front end on, let me get the front wheel spacers on and shit. And if I can find some bars that I like, like at least I know that's done. And it's a, it's a Lego set kind of in a sense where you'll throw parts at it and you'll get a whole motorcycle and then you can just alter a few things here and there. Like if I don't like, like you might've put some bars on that you're not digging the whole time but at least you got a set of bars on so your bike looks somewhat complete while you're building it and then when you get back to that bars like now it's like okay here i'm gonna do these or that's something. exactly how i do it is i've gotten myself to the point where i tell myself i can eat an elephant all by myself if i eat it one bite at a time so you gotta do one i set myself a uh, um achievable goals for that day yes. and it's funny i always start at the back of the bike so i'm i want the i want that wheel perfectly centered to the frame regardless of where the engine or anything falls mm -hmm. and that's the number one most important thing mm -hmm. for me build my all my stuff you in can the back. figure your offset sprockets yep. and all and, that stuff and, and i do the, the brake and everything right then and there mm -hmm. so i don't have when i come back to it now now i can figure out my offset mm -hmm. and then i you know so that that's good that's there good is a that. formula to it and you know some people work from the front so i work some people work from the middle out right and so um they put the engine and drive line in there first and we'll I mean that's cool, but that's just it's it's their way of doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to do it one one mm -hmm. bite at a time. And and I, I actually do that too. I mean I'm, I mean I shouldn't say I start with the back wheel necessarily, but yes, I drop the motor in, I drop the trans in. If it's going to take an inner primary um, plate, you'll put that on. Otherwise, at least get your belt drive lined up, and get everything square straight, and then and then I work from the back forward. You know. Gotcha. That's what I do. Right on. But, you know, like. One, like you said, dude, you can't eat the whole elephant at one time. So you fucking take a little bite at a time, and eventually, and if you have a deadline, here's my suggestion that people with deadlines work longer and deny your friends of their askings of your time to go do nonsense, which I might say is, hey, what's up, let's go to the bar, or hey, what's up, let's go do some um, 
just some riding around or something. Right. Because let's say you let's say you get one day short of that build of that day. Let's say you like needed one more day before your deadline. Well, guess what? That day you went to the bar, you could you could have you could have gained that day there. That day riding, you could have gained your day there. That day, that girl's birthday that you missed, you you, you could have gained a day there. Dude, so, I have every bike that I've ever done. I think that has a deadline. I have asked myself for another day at the end, and yeah. I've never had it. Yeah. Well, time management is huge with a deadline. So, if you can manage your time properly, and yes, I have the advantage because I don't have a wife and kids, so there aren't things that are going to be a priority over the bike. The bike is the priority. We're not going to see you at a choir concert at uh, no. William Taft uh, no. Middle School. No, no, <laughs> unfortunately not. You know, but if I if there is time to go do something, or if I did accomplish what I wanted to for that day, yeah, I'll go break off and do something. Because if I feel accomplished for that day, then, I, then I'm going to reward myself and go and do whatever somebody might be asking me to go out and do. Nice. Where can everybody, um, where do you want everybody to follow you at? Are you, are you, are you a Twitter guy? Are you an Instagram guy? A I'm an guy? Instagram guy. My Facebook is more of a personal um, friends and family deal. Um, so if you're Instagram, a hot chick and you want to slide into the DM, I'm going to think you're dick. a bot. You <laughs> 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 know, hot chicks slide in my DM right That's now. That's funny. <laughs> but no, what I'm saying is, is like Instagram is more for my motorcycle stuff, for my fans and followers, and, and things that people want to see more, um, more detailed about. I don't post all that stuff on my Facebook. Gotcha. So my Facebook is like you might. I might have an Instagram friend go add me on Facebook. And you might just end up pending because what you're going to see is on my Instagram. Like, you don't need to see what I post on my Facebook. Gotcha. Things like that. Yeah. But, yeah, at Magic Mike's Designs is my Instagram. And Magic um, is spelled different. It's than Magic spelled M-A-J-I-K. Perfect. Um, I had a weird spelling for my DJ name, Abstract, back in, back in high school and shit, so I kind of just stuck with the same thing with that. The cool. C was the K. So do you think maybe next year in HSR we could get you set up like your DJ deal and be a DJ and have like Magic Mike, have a party? I'm going to talk to Lionel Gammon and see if on the 13th floor. If, if you guys you wanted on... a party like that, I mean, these are this is a different crowd that I'm usually used to dealing with. Well, But yes, know, I could tailor my no, music towards it. No Molly. Uh, <laughs> but I would, you know, I would like to hear your scratching. <laughs> I'll send you a video. Dude, I appreciate you doing this. I really, I, I do. And uh, I'll, I'll hopefully, hopefully I'll have my ass back here next year as well, too. And No, I'll you're going to be here next year. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So I appreciate you doing this, man. I've, I've, I've put this off far too long. To, sitting down with you because I, like I said when we got on the boat I'm like I know we've met each other before and, and I'm I feel completely rude for, for not remembering and then um, once you told me that you're from Milwaukee but you live in Vegas now that I, I know that I, I, I know that we've been in the same room a number of times so absolutely yeah dude awesome well have fun on the rest of your cruise Thank and you. uh, thanks for uh, thanks absolutely. for sitting down with let's me, go dude. party yeah man <laughs>